for today's episode. Happy Friday, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. And I want to welcome one of our newest Patreons, Amanda Palzinski. I really hope I pronounced that Palzinski right. Palzinski in the house. I'm really second-guessing my ability to pronounce words lately. Don't even second-guess it. Just say it with confidence, and if it's wrong, it's wrong. Palzinski. Palzinski? Palzinski's in the house. Yes. So, those of you who recently joined our Patreon account will be receiving in the mail some fun new stickers that I designed myself. I finally got them out in the mail today. And I put in some extra stickers, and huge shout out to our neighbor, Brian, who made the stickers for me. I am D. I am D. I make decals. Yeah, that's his business. I am D. He makes decals. He's super fast, very professional. He did a really good job. So thank you very much, Brian. Yep, Brian's awesome. So if you are interested in joining, just search patreon.com slash mama mystery. We have fun stickers included when you join. You get extra bonus episodes each month, and uh, you get other fun perks. So if you're interested, that's how you get the stickers. It's like a mama mystery only fans. Ooh. Only not. Only, only not. <laughs> only only not. We only should come not. up with onlynot.com. Man, oh God, you know what? By the time this right. airs, I'm going to tell you right now, onlynot.com, we oh, are going to own it. Yeah, he's going to get on GoDaddy like right now. Right now. I wonder domain. if that's available. Only not. Only not. Only not. Only let's get into the show, Kelly. So before we get started, I want to give you all an update on one of our past episodes. Episode Ooh, this 14. is wild. Episode 14, we covered the murder of Bobby Jo Stinnett from Skidmore, Missouri, not far from where we live. Her killer, Lisa Montgomery... Can I tell it? No. Okay. (laughs) She got executed. (laughs) (laughs) And people are going to be like, why'd you laugh at that? Because she's a horrible person. So, yeah, she was put to death. Let me just, let me read what I have written, okay? Because I was very passionate when I wrote this. Okay. And this is all from my heart, okay? Written from Kelly's heart. There has been some controversy regarding her execution because her lawyers argue that she was too mentally ill, too disassociated from reality to be humanely put to death. There is an amendment in the Constitution that protects mentally ill people from being executed because they can't understand why they're being executed, and it deems it inhumane. But what I think is truly inhumane is the way she premeditated the murder of a 23-year-old first-time mom, strangled her in her living room, savagely cut into her pregnant belly with a kitchen knife to retrieve a baby that she passed off as her own. And I get really pissed off when I hear about the, quote, humane ways in which we deal with such inhumane criminals. And I've seen celebrities advocate for Lisa with hashtags like hashtag save Lisa, and it boils my blood. The attention was taken off Bobby Joe and her family, and instead the sympathy was redirected to this monster, and it makes no sense to me. Lisa Montgomery is exactly where she deserves to be. A lot of these listeners are going to be women, and I don't know that they watch Sports Center, but if you do watch Sports Center, there's episodes that start every night with Scott Van Pelt. And Scott Van Pelt goes on a roll with some topic, just like Kelly just did every night. And that's the SVP. And that's what Kelly just did. Amen. So anyway, now that that's off my chest, we can get into today's episode. Um, today, we are going to be talking about a case that was recommended by multiple people, including um, Hillary Marie on Instagram. Her name is Hillary Marie 214 And Jessica, here's another freaking name I can't pronounce. Jessica Carlskind. 
Um, I feel like I'm being punked. There are so many names that just are not your common names, like Smith or Johnson. It's always something a little more complicated. So I really apologize if I butchered your name, Jessica, but it's a cool name. Anyway, I had never heard of this case. So this is all brand new information to me. And brand spanking new. If I miss something... Y'all let me know, because I think this is a pretty popular case, which surprises me since I had never heard about it, but this is the case of the Springfield 3. Ooh. What, do you, what comes to mind when I say the Springfield 3? What do you think this is going to be about? Three people that are killed. Oh, see, okay, when I first heard it, I thought it was going to be like three killers. And I think that's a common misconception about this case, is that people hear the Springfield Three and they think it's like three serial killers, like a gang of serial killers. Couldn't be farther from the truth, but... Could just be just... the three pigs that cried wolf. Anyway, so the Springfield Oh, three... let's just ignore Austin, because he's just an idiot that <laughs> no, knows nothing just, about crime. I don't know to say to that. I'm just kidding. Anytime I just redirect, it's because I don't know what else to say. Let's run it. The Springfield Three. Okay, so the Springfield Three refers to three women who went missing from Springfield, Missouri. Springfield Mo. Yes. Bring it home. People were in Missouri. You don't need to know where. Go on, babe. Yeah, that's our own business. That's none of your business. On June 7th, 1992, their names are Susie Streeter, Stacy McCall, and Cheryl Levitt. And Cheryl is actually Susie's mom. Cheryl had two kids, Susie and Bart. She worked as a hairdresser and recently moved into a new home in February following a divorce. She found this really cute little fixer-upper in Springfield that she had planned to dump a lot of work into with the intent of selling it later to buy a bigger house. Her daughter, Susie, was a senior at Kickapoo High School, and she worked part-time at the local movie theater after school. In May of 1992, Susie was spending a lot of time with one of her childhood friends named Stacy McCall. They were childhood friends, but then they kind of grew apart a little bit, and they reconnected by the time they were due to graduate. They were getting really excited to graduate, as most, if not all, seniors are. They had big plans for after graduation. Everyone was getting ready to like go to college and go their own ways. So they were busy making plans and like memories for the summer. They'd go to senior events like senior breakfast and just all those things. Senior lunch, senior dinners, senior skip day, and uh, and then and water parks. They had like a ton of water parks. They were close to Branson. It's not too far from Branson, and there's a ton of activities to do there. Apparently, I've never been, but I know it's pretty popular. So Stacy planned to go to Missouri State University, and Susie wanted to follow in her mom's footsteps and go to cosmetology school to become a hairdresser. So on the night of June 6, 1992, the girls' high school is holding an event called a dry lock-in right after high school graduation. So they graduated that day, and then that night they were going to celebrate by getting locked in at the school. Um, each student attending this event had to sign a pledge not to drink, and then they would stay locked in the school, and they'd spend the night there, and they had, like, activities for them to do, but nobody is allowed to leave until the next morning. I have never participated in any lock-ins. I've heard of them. I've heard of them, too. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember them doing them back in school, but, I mean, it was, like, 12-year-olds did it. Well, I've heard of, like, after-prom dry lock-ins and stuff. Really? To try to try to sway students from going out getting drunk yeah and that totally makes sense yeah. i had just I, when i had heard of it it was like 12 year olds were doing it yeah no i've heard of after and i'm not saying that to be rude it was like middle school yeah i get it yeah anyway um Susie and stacy decided not to participate in this lock-in 
Instead, they made, to, made plans to attend some other parties, wet parties, too, not dry. Too cool for school. Yes. With their friend Janelle. And then they, the next day, they were going to make their um, way to Branson, which was about 30 minutes away. So they were going to sleep in a motel that night and then go to Whitewater Water Park the next day, which would be their first day of summer. So Stacy's mom, um, Janice, was opposed to these plans. So she was really relieved to hear that the girls actually ended up changing their minds. They decided, since it was getting late, that they would just go to the water park the next day and just nix the plans to stay at a hotel. So, like, their plans kind of keep changing throughout the night, if, if you haven't caught on to that. Right. It gets a little confusing. So that night, Susie's mom, Cheryl, was at home refurbishing, refurbishing some furniture. And they thought about staying at Janelle's house, but there were a ton of relatives in from out of town who came to celebrate the graduation. So... Um, anyway, it's about 2 a.m., and Stacy and Susie are trying to figure out where they're going to sleep when they finally decide to just go back to Susie's house. Janelle told them, you know, you can sleep on the floor at my place. It's fine. But they declined. I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to sleep on the floor either. Um, Susie said she apparently had, like, a king-size bed, so they were going to just sleep there. Makes sense. Janelle ended up staying home at her own house, and then Susie and Stacy went to Susie's. I feel like I'm reading a riddle. Susie Stacey. I have two. Refurbishing furniture, refurbishing furniture, refurbishing furniture. Anyway, around 9 a.m. the next morning, Janelle calls the girls, but nobody answers. And I've heard some other people and podcasters and articles, like, you know, give Janelle a little flack for this because she, you know, was one of the first people to go over to the house the next day. And so presumably like the last person to be seen with the people or the first person on the scene sometimes becomes like a person of interest. So some people thought it was weird that Janelle was calling them so early in the morning, but I know it's just because they had plans to go to that water park and everyone planning on going together was probably just waiting on Susie and Stacy. So Janelle gets picked up by her boyfriend, Mike, and they head over to Susie's house. Susie and Stacy's cars are there. Everybody's cars are there. Cheryl, Susie, and Stacy's. Their cars are all there in their, not in their normal spots, though. Susie's car was in a different spot than it typically is. But, again, I don't know that that's really a big deal. Stacy's mom, Janice, is there also. She'd been calling Stacy all morning, also got no, no answer. So she's pretty frantic at this point because she was already kind of stressed out the night before. Now she can't get a hold of her daughter, so she's kind of getting worried. Mm-hmm. She admits that she kind of knew something was wrong, but she didn't want to admit it to herself. You know, that mother's intuition. You just sometimes know. So they walk up to the front door and notice that there's glass all over the ground in the front of the door. They look up and realize that it's the globe from outside their porch light. The light bulb itself is still intact, but the globe around it was shattered, and it's all on the ground. They knock on the door, but nobody is answering, so they assume that the girls are just still asleep. They were up super late the night before, till at least they didn't get home till like 2.15, 2.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. So Janelle's boyfriend, Mike, in the meantime, grabs a broom and starts sweeping up the broken glass while they try to figure out what to do next. He just did this to be like a good guy. He was just, you know... I'm he wasn't crazy. thinking, I'm going to contaminate a crime scene. No, none, nobody was. They... Try opening the door and realize it's unlocked. So they all make their way in, yelling the girls' names. Nobody's answering. In the bathroom, they could see that the girls had taken off their makeup and jewelry from the night before. So they had definitely been there. The beds appeared to be slept in, but nobody was in them. 
They also notice that all three girls' purses are on the floor, like neatly lined up one next to the other, but their wallets are in them, they have money in there, their keys are in there, and their cigarettes are in there. In fact, Cheryl's purse, so she's a hairstylist, she had a $900 deposit that she hadn't taken to the bank yet still in her purse. So at first glance, nothing really appears to be amiss, but Janelle and Janice both notice one odd thing, and it's that Susie and Cheryl's dog, Cinnamon, who's a little Yorkshire Terrier, appeared to be extra anxious and was, like, barking a lot. And Terriers are just kind of wound-up dogs anyway. But dogs, I think dogs do have a sense. A lot of dogs have a sense. Right. So I, I take that with a grain of salt because I do think dogs can sense things. Right. And the lined up purses is strange. And especially, and like, I don't even know what's going to happen except that three people are missing. But the lined up purses is strange. Yeah, and there's money left in it, and the dog is acting kind of hyper and weird and anxious. Like, Janelle I'd be watching that, my back as I'm walking through the house. Oh, for sure. That's like what's going through my head right now. Yeah. But anyway, the dog is upset. I mean, you can take that however you want. But um, they also noticed that both Cheryl and Susie left their cigarettes and lighters, which were things that they never left without. Cheryl's son, Bart, says that Cheryl wouldn't leave a room without a cigarette in hand, let alone the house. So they really found that, that one piece to be very odd. As they're looking around the house for some sort of clue as to where the girls might be, the phone rings. Janelle picks up the phone, hoping that it's someone who can help locate the girls, if not the girls themselves, but it's not. Rather, it's a man who starts making these lewd, sexual innuendos over the phone. She doesn't know who it is. It's just some guy. But Janelle is understandably disturbed by this, so she hangs up the phone. Wait, hold on. Mm -hmm. Like, Do you have examples of what he said? I don't, and I, I tried to find articles or a video or something of what it was that he said all i could find were that they were lewd comments like what do you do just pick up the phone some and you just start saying sexual stuff to somebody i don't understand do not know i mean maybe i I, who is this hearsay like is is this this is coming from janelle and janice i watched interviews with both of them but it's hearsay it's what they say happened yeah it's what they say happened okay I just want to what do you, what the hell would you even I know, say? I try to get Call an somebody example. and just say, suck my dick. <laughs> oh my God, I Kelly. Don't know. Why don't you beep that out on the podcast? My God. <laughs> I mean, seriously, the what, like what? I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. But I'm also not a criminal or a weirdo. I mean, I might be weird, but. Yeah. So anyway, now let's get past that. Janelle is understandably disturbed by this. So she hangs up the phone and he immediately calls back saying the same stuff. So, but this time the answering machine picks it up. But when someone there went to listen to the message, they accidentally deleted it. So this is 1992. So when we say deleted, it doesn't just go to like a deleted folder. It is completely erased for good. Gone is gone. So in the meantime, the friends start picking things up around the house. They're washing dishes. They even repair this window screen that was a little bent out of shape. They were just trying to be helpful. But obviously, the moment I heard this, I just did like a face palm. They were just trying to be helpful, and I get that. But it's very reminiscent of JonBenet Ramsey's case when the parents their friends are over and they're like tidying up while everyone waits for this kidnapped John Bonet to return only to find out later that the house is a crime scene and they've just totally contaminated it. Guys, let me just make this clear. 
If you ever come across something odd or amiss, don't touch anything. Just back off. Don't move anything. Don't touch anything. Just leave that for the cops. Unless someone is like actively needing CPR, don't touch a single thing because not only may you leave fingerprints that could inadvertently tie you to a crime, but you could also ruin evidence that may lead to potential suspects. So just use your head. Amen to that. So finally, the police get called, and they get everyone out of the house because they immediately suspect foul play, since there's not just one person gone, there's three women missing. And they apparently said that there was, at one point, as many as like 18 people that came through that house. Think about all that traffic, just people in and out of the house, contaminating everything. At first, they're not able to find a whole lot, since everyone cleaned up. Not a whole lot of DNA options were left behind. They had emptied the cigarette ashes. I mean, there were barely any even there were barely even any hairs at the place. They go into Susie's room, and as they're looking around, they notice some things that stick out on her bookshelf. Books about devil worshiping and satanic rituals. It's kind of weird, creepy. I don't know what to do with that information. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. I don't know what to do with that, okay. So there's that. I'm just going to deliver that, and we're going to keep keep going. Yeah. Police discover that Susie had been dating a boy who was a bit of a bad boy and had recently been in trouble for grave robbing. Weird. Yeah. So um, this guy's name was Dustin Reckla, and apparently him and his friends were part of a group who broke into a mausoleum and stole gold teeth from corpses. So they would, like, open up these caskets, decapitate these dead bodies, and then go take the heads to, like, take the gold fillings and gold teeth out of their skulls. And then they'd go, like, toss the skulls or heads into trees. And then they'd take the gold fillings and the gold teeth to pawn shops to get money for drugs. I'm just sitting here shaking my head because this is the stupid... That's that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What is wrong with people? I mean, what that possesses is the you most to do anything like that? Thing. It's one of the most disturbing things I've ever heard. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Austin. I'm not laughing. I'm laughing at your reaction because it, it really is just so asinine. Gosh, people are weird. All right, keep going. People are seriously weird. So, friends of Susie say that when Susie learned about this, she immediately broke up with him because she was so appalled. And some people even say that it was Susie who turned them in. This boy's trial was um, set to happen or start in a few months, and Susie was supposedly supposed to testify at this trial. So this caught the cops' attention because it could offer a motive as to why someone would take Susie. Kind of interesting, yeah. And whoever she happened to be with at the time, because those would be witnesses. But the thing is, there was no DNA at the house that linked literally anyone to the girl's disappearance. So that there is just a theory Weeks pass, and nobody has heard from the girls. Finally, someone calls the police, saying that she Wait, saw... Wait, nobody ahead. called the police? No, they did. Remember? Oh, okay. I'm th- you, I thought you were saying, finally, someone called the police three weeks later. Okay. Oh, yeah, saying... No, yeah. Okay. Inter- yeah, I was in the middle of a sentence. But that will make it make sense. So finally, someone calls the police, saying that she saw someone who looked like Susie driving a mint green van. It was like an older style van that kind of reminds me of the Scooby-Doo van. The front is kind of flat, has those like big circular headlights, and Uh there were no windows except the windows in the very front. Like a utility van. Yeah, kind of. And this person swears that she saw Susie driving it and that Susie appeared to be scared. 
she even adds that she could hear a man yelling at the driver from the back of the van. So they put out an alert about this van, hoping that it might garner some tips, but nothing ended up coming of it. Interesting again. Then another tips, tip comes in all the way from Florida that led police to Robert Craig Cox. And that is the main suspect in this whole story. Okay. Anyone who has heard this story knows about this guy. Robert was convicted and sentenced to death for the murder of a 19-year-old woman in Florida named Sharon Zellers. But that conviction was later overturned because there was apparently not enough evidence to say that he was involved. But what happened was Robert was in Florida on vacation with his family. One night, Robert was out and about while his family was at the hotel. And when he returned to the hotel room, he was bleeding profusely from his mouth. And there was blood all over his mouth and his shirt. So the mom sees this. She starts freaking out. So she takes him to the emergency room. And he says he was at a local skate park or like a skate rink. And that he got into a fight with a big black guy. And that when the guy punched him in the face, he bit his tongue. But the surgical tech working on his tongue said that the arch of the bite was actually in the opposite direction, indicating that someone else had to have bit his tongue. Orange County deputies went to the skating rink and spoke with security guards there who said that no such fight ever occurred that night. Robert said he had gotten a ride back to the hotel that night from a Good Samaritan after he got lost, but that person was never found. Like, they, they never figured out who that Good Samaritan was. And six days later, the body of Sharon Zellers was found only 100 yards from the hotel in which Robert was staying. She was found badly beaten and stuffed into a manhole at a pumping station. Her car was found nearby in an orange grove, and it had blood in it that did not belong to Sharon. Three hairs were also found in her car. The hairs were identical to Robert's chest hairs, and the blood... So this is kind of confusing, because I guess at the time, there wasn't um, enough like DNA testing to tie him to the murder. They just said that the blood was the same type, that the blood in the car was typo, mm-hmm. and Robert's blood was typo. Does it, well, I bet you everybody that listens right now at some point in the last five minutes was trying to kind of bite down on their tongue to see how in the world you could have backwards teeth on your tongue (laughs) and you can't i'm just letting you know i've been checking (laughs) you're so pretty no that's funny backwards teeth i wonder if you could you like turn (laughs) oh now i'm the idiot so when a court (laughs) so when a court decided 10 years later. Okay, well, let me back up, actually, because he was, he was convicted of this and um, sentenced to death, okay, in Florida. And, um, of course, he filed these appeals, because you can do that. The appeals went all the way to the Supreme Court, and they decided 10 years after the crime was committed, 10 years after he was convicted, they decided to acquit him of all those charges. This is unheard of, okay? And they said that they based their decision on the idea that it wasn't enough evidence to convict him of being the only one involved. And so they let him go. He was able to walk free. And the justice system fails again. So then he served nine years. 
after abducting two women, two separate cases, he had abducted these women. One of them he abducted with a knife, and um, he cut the girl's hand so bad that she asked him to take her to a hospital, so he took her to a hospital, dropped her off, and spit off. And then the other one... um, Oh, shoot, I can't remember what happened to the other one. I was going to just say that off of memory, and I totally forgot. I'm really sorry, guys. But anyway, he, had, he ended up serving nine years for these two abduction cases. So he was linked to the Springfield Three because Sharon Zeller's brother called all the way from Florida to tell them that he might have something to do with it. Because she hadn't been seen since 92. And then who? she... Sharon Zeller's? No, yeah. she was found. Yeah. Yeah. And she hadn't... And then after he was released from prison, uh-huh. then he went and lived in Springfield. And Sharon Zeller's brother knew this, okay. knew that he was living in Springfield. Got it. And when the case started garnering national attention and he heard about it, he was like, I was messed Robert's up on the there. timelines that that happened before. No, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Okay. So that all, all that weird stuff with that Robert Zeller before. happened before the Springfield thing. Mm-hmm. Then he moved to Springfield. The girl's missing. His brother calls it in. Yep, exactly. Her brother calls it in. Got it. Yeah. So Robert worked for Stacy's dad at a car dealership, and he lived right across the street. Later, he worked as a utility line operator. And um, a lot of people you know, hang on to that because as a utility line operator, you could just go to anybody's door and say, hey, I'm here to work on your utilities. Or, you know, you could like easily garner access to someone's home. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, the idea that maybe he showed up there early in the morning, the day they disappeared, you know, Mm -hmm. is... uh, Logical. Logical. So he was also a highly decorated and highly skilled army ranger with a history of abducting women. So these are things that are going into consideration because as someone who's a highly skilled army ranger, he probably knows how to, you know, gather people without leaving much behind. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. I I don't know. It's just something to think about. Um, So he had moved to Springfield, like I said, just weeks before the girls went missing. And family members started to suspect that he had something to do with their disappearance. But Robert's girlfriend at the time tells cops that he was with her at church at the time, which gave him an alibi. Then he gets arrested. Now we're going to like kind of fast forward a little bit. But he gets arrested in Texas for an aggravated robbery after holding a gun to a 12-year-old's head. A 12-year-old girl held a gun to her head. And for this, he was sentenced to life in prison. So you can get... Nine years for abducting two women, but a life sentence for holding a gun to a... I mean, it's just so messed up. There's so many different... I don't get it. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. But anyway, that's besides the point. At this point, his girlfriend changes her story about his church alibi and tells the police that she has no idea where he was the night that the girls went missing. But his parents are quick to jump in and say, no, 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 he was with us that night, as if they can remember what happened on June 7th, 1992, Mm -hmm. exactly where their son was. Yeah. So an investigative reporter goes down to Texas to interview Robert, and when he asks him about the Springfield Three... How how long later did he get arrested in Texas? So that was 1995. So just to recap, the girl in Florida, that um, Sharon Zellers, who was attacked while he was on vacation in Florida, that happened in 1978. He was convicted in 1988... And um, he was he ended up getting released because of the Supreme Court's decision. He moved to Springfield, 1992, right before the, the girls, three girls went missing. Ironic. Yes, 
And then he was arrested in Decatur, Texas in 1995 for the armed robbery. So I realize that the timeline is a little bit jumpy, and I apologize for that. But yeah, it's definitely, it's because like the things that happen and then the charges that follow kind of overlap one another. So I feel like it's asked. relevant in the way you're telling. So Well, thank you. Yeah. So an investigative reporter goes down to Texas to interview him, and when he asks Robert about the Springfield Three, Robert tells this reporter on camera, you can find this on YouTube, that he knows they're dead. The reporter says, but that's just a theory. And Robert says, but I know they're dead. No I just way. know that. Mm-hmm. And then when the reporter presses him for more details, he says that he won't give him any until his mom dies. And I assume what? that's because he doesn't want to cause his mom any additional pain, suffering, embarrassment, because his mom's, like, getting yeah. older. So then another investigative reporter comes forward, and her name is Kathy Baird, and she's from the Springfield area and was living there when the women went missing. She starts looking deeply into the case and gets a tip that the women are buried beneath the um, Cox Hospital parking garage, which at the time of their disappearance was just a dirt lot, and they had started working on the parking garage like 15 months later after the girl's disappearance. She took this information to the police and says that they pretty much just laughed at her. And so she finds this guy who has a piece of equipment with high-tech ground-penetrating radar capable of detecting, like, old graves and burial sites. Weird. I know. What a random piece of equipment. Yeah, I guess he used this to help detect where bodies were during 9-11. Wow. That's -hmm. crazy. So she brings him to the parking garage, and he detects three areas that indicate a possible grave site and tells Kathy that that's exactly what he sees when he comes upon old burial grounds. This parking garage, like I said, went up the year after the girls went missing. So it's not far-fetched that the girls could have been buried there and that the parking like and then the parking garage went up. However, a lot of investigators and and many people who like work in concrete um doubt this theory because you often have to do some excavating when you begin a parking garage project and this was not an underground parking garage it's just, it's all above ground so i guess it's not impossible but it just seems unlikely they would have that they, they would have had like, footings and a foundation but they wouldn't have had to go super deep to do that stuff i mean i don't know because i don't yeah. know how that all works but i mean it does seem unlikely to me though that the killer would be able to dig deep enough so that they wouldn't be dis- like so that the bodies would be undisturbed when the parking garage was started huh. but anyway it's just a theory but Kathy does this interview with Crime Watch Daily which is also on YouTube and when she's asked what she thinks happens to the girls she says that she thinks someone came after Susie and or Cheryl and that Stacy was just collateral damage When she asked what the motive would be for someone to go after Susie or Cheryl, she says that she won't answer that. And this is off-putting to the interview and even the producer. And at one point, the producer steps in and expresses his frustration that she won't answer and that she's kind of like speaking in code. And Kathy gets pretty defensive and says, sorry, you don't understand, but I live here and I'm afraid for my safety. You have to think, this is a small town and it's in Missouri, I mean, every state has their weirdos. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying it, that, like, Missouri's just crazy all over. But she's from a small town. I'm sure a lot of people talk. The rumor mill is probably crazy. But um, she tells the interview that she's been approached and, like, she's been boxed in when she was in her car. Like, she's been approached and threatened 
by random people in the past for being Kathy Baird, the one who's been investigating the Springfield Three. And she says that she's been told by these people who have confronted her that they work for people who make others disappear. So take that however you want. You can take it seriously. You can say maybe she's... We're going to start having a bell we ring for this is just information. (laughs) (laughs) Ding. All right. We're moving on. This is just information. So to this day, the Springfield Three are still missing and their case is still open. So is Robert... He is serving life for that aggravated robbery. Okay. And he is still a person of interest, main suspect. I'm not sure. Like he's how still can he very... say they're dead and I'm not gonna tell you how, but nothing happens to him. For Austin, it. my questions exactly. I think that's what everybody's question is. Like are. I feel like there's a big missing piece that's not being told, but I trust you that there's not. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I understand. Dug, I'm just, yeah. I looked, I watched. No, I'm, I, I'm joking. I say it yeah. like tongue in cheek, but it's no. like, it's like there's this big part of the story just missing. You know, it, it's unconscionable that someone can say those things, which sound a lot to me, like a I'm involved confession. Yeah. Like, seriously. I know something you don't know. And I'm not going to tell you. And because you choose not to say more than that, you can be essentially, like, let free. Just, I mean, he's not free because he's in prison, but he's not going to be convicted or charged with any crimes because there's no physical evidence. There's right. no bodies. There's no DNA. There's no nothing. There's just his, his words. It's weird. And even his words aren't really a full confession. So I guess with that, he just keeps them right at bay. He just keeps investigators right at bay. That's weird. So, yeah, Susie and Cheryl have been legally declared dead, um, but Stacy McCall's mom, Janice, refuses to do the same until she knows for a fact and has Stacy's body. So, so when somebody's missing, they can declare them dead? If they've been gone for, I think it's like five years, they can be legally declared dead. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, because if somebody disappears, but they have like loose ends that need to be tied up that you know require a death certificate, then they can be declared dead legally man that's really weird makes you think like are there people out there being sex trafficked or something that have been missing for 10 years and but declared dead yeah that's that's really good it's like sad and creepy and 